Thanks, Charlie. That sounded really awesome. It's so such a treat to have some um, some other piano players working on this piano here. So great job. We're going to stand together and sing Here I Am to Worship. in the scripture passage that we're looking today talks about sanctuary and talks um, and so 
both Cam and I, and I think also Shauna, we thought, all three of us thought of this song, which is a really old song, but I'm pretty sure that Ida sang it with us. Um, so we're going to repeat it twice, but it's a really easy song, and it's Lord Prepare Me to Be a Sanctuary. Good morning. Good morning. If you would like to read the scripture with me that's in your bulletin this morning, it's from Psalm 66, verses 1 to 3. And let's read together. Shout joyfully to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are thy works. If you would like to bow with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this chance to meet together this morning. We thank you that we have the freedom to do so. We thank you that we have a warm building to be in. Thank you that we have a pastor to teach us your word. We thank you that we have your word, our own copies of it in our own language. And we just thank you for your goodness to us. We pray that we would learn about you this morning, that we would be challenged, and that we would grow to serve you better. And we thank you for this chance in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, reading from Psalm 73. God is truly good to Israel, to those who have pure hearts, but I had almost stopped believing. I had almost lost my faith because I was jealous of proud people. I saw wicked people doing well. They are not suffering. They are healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like the rest of us. They don't have problems like other people. They wear pride like a necklace and put on violence as their clothing. They are looking for prophets and do not control their selfish desires. They make fun of others and speak evil. Proudly they speak of hurting others. They brag to the sky. They say that they own the earth. So their people turn to them and give them whatever they want. They say, how can God know? What does God most high know? Those people are wicked, always at ease and getting richer. So why have I kept my heart pure? 
Why have I kept my hands from doing wrong? I have suffered all day long. I have been punished every morning. God, if I had decided to talk like this, I would have let your people down. I tried to, un I tried to understand all things, but it was too hard for me to see until I went to the temple of God. Then I understood what will happen to them. You have put them in danger. You caused them, you caused them to be destroyed. They are destroyed in a moment. They are swept away by terrors. It will be like walking, sorry, waking from a dream. Lord, when you rise up, they will disappear. When my heart was sad and I was angry, I was senseless and stupid. I acted like an animal toward you, but I am always with you. You have held my hand. You guide me with your advice, and later you will receive me in honor. I have no one in heaven but you. I want nothing on earth besides you. My body and my mind may become weak, my, but God is my strength. He is mine forever. Those who are far from God will die. You destroy those who are unfaithful. But I am close to God, and that is good. The Lord God is my protection. I will tell all that you have done. Thanks, Heather, for reading that psalm. And uh, let's just ask God to guide our thoughts as we uh, go through it. Your word to us, Lord, is always relevant. It's always what we, as your people in all ages, what we need. It's you speaking to us. And Lord, as we go through this psalm, help us, Lord, to understand what it is that you are saying to us. Help us to understand how it applies where we are at, and help us to know what it is that each of us personally needs to take away from it. So we ask your guidance, help me to speak it as you'd want it spoken. In your name we pray, amen. I stepped out of our house on Friday morning, and I took a walk to our barn to check on the cats and to feed them, and my thought was, it actually feels quite nice outside. <laughs> The shelter of our yard, I couldn't really feel any breeze when I got back to the house and I looked at the temperature and it was minus 24. And it felt nice. <laughs> it's amazing how perspective changes depending on what you compare it to, doesn't it? Compared to minus 35 and windy like we've been having for a couple weeks it seems like, uh, minus 24 and calm felt really nice. Perspective. And going on with that thought of perspective, it's amazing how our perspective can color our lives. The same event could either be the worst thing in the world that could happen, or it could be the best thing that could happen, depending on the perspective that you look at it from. One little boy from first grade came home from a field trip that his class had taken, field trip to a museum. And he was all excited. He came home, he told his father, they've got a magic record player at that museum. And the father replied, oh really? Tell me about it. And the son went on, yeah, it's magic all right. It doesn't need electricity, it doesn't need batteries or anything. It, it just, you know, all you have to do is turn this crank and then it plays all by itself. 
<laughs> so something from an older person's perspective is outdated ancient technology. <laughs> from a first grader perspective, it's magic. <laughs> Magical. Our perspective on things will greatly influence our lives. It will influence the directions we, t we make. It will influence the directions our life will take. As is the case with many things, much of the time perspective is kind of a gray area. Uh, two different perspectives are just two different ways of seeing things. Neither one's really right or wrong. But there are times when one perspective is woefully narrow and limited. And another perspective is a much clearer and more accurate picture of the reality of the thing. So in that case, one perspective is wrong and the other is right. Chuck Swindoll tells a story of a time in the late 50s when he and his wife lived in San Francisco for a few months. And he said he could never make sense of the layout of the city of San Francisco. Um, he was constantly getting lost because he just couldn't figure it out. Uh, one side of Mission, I, I take it Mission as a main corridor in San Francisco uh, Street or Avenue or whatever. On one side of Mission, all the streets ran in one direction on a diagonal. On the other side, they ran on the perpendicular. And woven in them was all kinds of hills and winding streets. And, and yeah, it was just, none of it made, made any sense to him. He was convinced that the city planners had no plan at all when that city was built and laid out. But one day he and his wife met some friends at a restaurant on the top floor of the new San Francisco Hilton. And then things changed. From that height of 20 stories up, as he looked over the city, suddenly he said it all made sense. He had a different perspective, a higher perspective, where he could see it all at once. And then he got it. Then he understood the layout of the city. So his first perspective was small and limited, and thus it was wrong. His next perspective was higher and larger and much clearer, leading to his understanding of the city. And thus his perspective was changed to a right perspective. And that's what I want us to be thinking about this morning as we approach Psalm 73 perspective. Only this time perspective on life. This psalm was written by a man named Asaph. Asaph was a contemporary of King David. Asaph was an outstanding musician whom King David had appointed to be the minister of music in the temple. He was in charge of the, of the worship music at the temple. He's credited, credited with writing 12 of the psalms that we have here in our book of psalms in the Bible. Psalm 73 is one of them, which Asaph wrote. This psalm records a personal journey of faith which Asaph walked through. A struggle that he had to the point of almost losing his faith and walking away from his faith. And how he came to realize that he was looking at life with the wrong perspective. And he shares that personal journey with us in Psalm 73. And it's an insightful psalm for all of us. Because it is very easy to fall into looking at life from a very small and limited perspective and lose the clearer picture that the higher, more far-reaching perspective gives us. Asaph leads us along on that journey. So let's dig in. As Christians, we need to be diligent to maintain an eternal perspective on life. 
We can by coming to grips with the teachings of Psalm 73. First teaching, lack of eternal perspective leads to bitterness and senselessness. Lack of eternal perspective leads to bitterness and senselessness. In verses 2 through 14 of this psalm, Asaph describes his struggle. The struggle of faith that he had that almost shipwrecked him. He knew, verse 1, that theoretically God is good to his people. He knew that. But when he looked around him, he didn't see it. He looked around him at both godly people who did their best to live for God and ungodly people who didn't care two hoots about God or trying to live for him. They just lived for themselves, not a thought of God ever or of right or wrong, ever crossing their minds. Asaph looked at that scene and he saw something that didn't make sense in his mind. The ungodly people who couldn't care less about God and the things of God they were, by all appearances, better off than the people who loved and served God. They were prospering while the godly people were struggling. And that bothered Asaph. He says in verse 3 that he was envious of the prosperity of the wicked. They lived well, they prospered, they died pain-free and fat. During their lifetime, they didn't have many troubles at all, verse 5 says. They were proud, they mocked the godly, they set themselves up higher than other people, and yet their prosperity continued. So they conclude, verse 11, that God, if there is a God, he doesn't know, or he doesn't care, or both. So they keep on in their lives of wickedness, and keep on prospering and getting richer. That's what Asaph saw, and it made no sense to him. In fact, he grew bitter and envious, it says. And he almost came to the conclusion, verses 13 and 14, he almost came to the conclusion that all his striving to live for God was useless. It had all been in vain. It wasn't worth it to live for God. He was ready to walk away from his faith. You ever feel that way? Have those kinds of thoughts ever walked through your minds? And I think if we are honest, many of us have wondered about that same scenario. What is the point of trying to live a good Christian life? There's way more trouble in doing that than just forgetting about God and living for yourself. What's the point of it? That kind of thinking comes when you have a perspective on life that is small and narrow. A, a perspective that only includes life on this earth and the few short years a person lives on it. If your perspective of life is that the 80 or so years, give or take, on this earth is all there is, then this conclusion is a valid conclusion. That there is no point in being a Christian. There is no point in trying to live a life pleasing to God. You may as well live hard and fast and not even think about God or even think about right or wrong. That's way easier to live that way. If that's your perspective, then that's the conclusion. Notice, though, what this line of thinking leads to. Looking down to verse 20 and 21. Or 
sorry, 21 and 22. It leads to bitterness, senselessness, and acting like a beast or an animal. Bitterness, senselessness, acting like the beast. You see, if you take eternity out of the picture, what is left? All you have is life on this earth. And if this is all there is, then you may as well be a senseless animal. What's the point of being anything different? You may as well let bitterness take over. What's the point of fighting it? Sure, it's senseless, but if this is all there is, why be anything different? That's what Asaph realized was happening to him. He had a limited, narrow perspective on life, and he had become bitter and senseless and acting like a beast. That's what happens when you have a perspective on life that does not include eternity. So that's the first teaching. Secondly, Eternal perspective is gained through real, honest worship. Eternal perspective is gained through real, honest worship. What turned things around for Asaph was, verse 17 and following, it was going to the sanctuary of God or to the temple of God. Now, keep in mind, before the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the temple in Jerusalem was the center of worship for the nation Israel. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. That's where the mercy seat was, the mercy seat over the Ark of the Covenant. Those two very significant objects in the temple embodied the presence of God among his people. Now, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, we will place our faith in, in him, have Jesus indwelling us. We're the temple of God now. But before the death and resurrection of Jesus, God's presence among his people was at that temple embodied by the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat, which was in the Holy of Holies, in that temple. Everyone of Israel was to go there at least once a year to worship and to offer sacrifices. They could go anytime they wanted, but at least once a year they're required to go at the Passover. I'm not sure if this was the occasion that Asa was talking to her about, or some other occasion in his life when he went to the temple. But the point is, he went to the temple of God, and he focused his attention on God, and he found his perspective changed. It was like he was climbing to the top of a high building and viewing life from a much higher level. And his perspective now included eternity. And from that perspective, life didn't look the same at all. Let's read verse 17. It's a pivotal verse in this passage, in this psalm. Psalm 73, verse 17. Well, let's start at verse 16. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. Verse 17, pivotal verse. Until I came to the sanctuary of God, then I perceived Therein. So from this perspective that included eternity, Asaph could see the end of this life on earth and the next step into eternity. And he realized when he started looking at life from this perspective, he realized that those wicked people that he was so envious of, 
Those ones that didn't have a care in the world for God or the things of God, those ones who were prospering and he was getting so bitter about, he realized that those same people were on a very slippery slide. Verse 18, surely you set them in slippery places. Very slippery slide. They are the ones when this life is over, as they step across into eternity, they'll be slipping and sliding straight into hell. They are going to be destroyed in a moment, swept away, verse 19 says, by sudden terrors. What a horrible thing. What a horrible thing for them. Whereas the godly, Asaph realized, verse 24, would be received into glory. Asaph gained a much higher and more inclusive and much more accurate perspective on life and he realized his mistake. And he realized that when you view life with an eternal perspective, it's certainly worth it to live for God. It is worth it to live for God when you put eternity in the equation. Notice what changed Asaph's perspective? Going to the sanctuary of God to worship him. That's when he began to see things as God sees them. That's when he climbed to the higher level and gained that broader perspective that included eternity. I'm not sure if I'm pushing the application too far here or not, but you ever wonder what the point is in going to church? You can stay home. And with our technology today, you can tune into a plethora of services, of church services, and hear a far better preacher than me. Or you can go out and enjoy nature and worship God through nature. And once in a while, good, probably a good idea to do that. Why go to church? Like said, when I went to the temple to worship, why go to church? Because when you go to church, your mind is directed to God. You sing songs that point you to God and the things of God. You talk with fellow believers and pray with fellow believers, and that directs your thoughts toward God. And once you are in church, you have to sit through the sermon, <laughs> which points your mind toward God and his direction for his people. Of course, you can come to church and just go through the motions. Obviously, you can do that. But at least you're giving yourself half a chance to think about spiritual things. If you don't, it's a lot harder to focus on the things of God. It takes a lot more effort and concentration. And when you focus on God and the things of God, you gain that eternal perspective. You're almost forced into taking on that eternal perspective. And that's one of the many reasons why it's important for Christians to gather together. That's why God gave the command to not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. One more thing Asa brings out that I want you to see. It's almost as an aside, but verse 15. He realized, and seemingly even before he got his perspective straightened out, he realized there in verse 15 that if he had started speaking out about his bitterness, and about how useless it is to live for God, he would have betrayed his generation of godly people. It would have sown seeds of doubt and betrayal of God 
all who would have heard it. That would have been a horrible thing. Friends, your words, your actions, your perspectives has an effect on others. And if wrong, there is potential of leading some of God's children astray as you betray your God in front of them. So that's an aside to keep in mind. But the second teaching of this psalm is that eternal perspective is gained through real, honest worship. Eternal perspective is gained through real, honest worship. Thirdly, when you view your life with an eternal perspective, the presence of God is enough. When you view life with an eternal perspective, the presence of God is enough. You see a change in Asaph's idea of what is valuable and what isn't as you go through this psalm. In the beginning, Asaph saw the wicked people go through life with relatively few troubles, and they prospered. They were getting rich. The more ungodly they got, the richer they got. That's what he was seeing. They had all kinds of things that he never had. As he was trying to live for God and to please God. And he was struggling. Those wicked, rich people, they had fancy homes, they had nice trucks, they had a cabin at the lake, they had big boats, they had lots of private land to go hunting on. And he could barely keep up with the mortgage payments on his little shack. And he was really bitter about that. When you don't have an eternal perspective on life, things like all this stuff is important. Stuff is important. <laughs> Material stuff, it's important when you don't have an eternal perspective. Because that's all there is. If you take eternity out of the picture, that's all there is. This is life on earth. So then stuff becomes important. But as Asaph illustrates, when you gain an eternal perspective, this changes. Because when you realize that there is an eternity, then all that stuff isn't important anymore. Look at verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, <laughs> I desire nothing on earth. Asaph says, I don't really have anything except God. And now that I have an eternal perspective, I don't really need anything but God. Let's read on. My flesh, verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He says, my body and my heart will give out, but I'll still have God. The wicked won't. When this life is over for them, it's over. They don't have God. But for the godly, they have God, and that is good. And that's really all they need. You see, when you include eternity in your perspective on life, then all this material stuff doesn't mean that much anymore. Sure, it's nice, but it isn't any big deal if you have it or if you don't have it. If you have God for all eternity, and with that perspective, 
you realize that is way better and way more satisfying and fulfilling than all this stuff is anyway. Let the ungodly enjoy all that philosophy. That's all they have, poor souls. Somebody should tell them about eternity. But, but I don't need it. I don't really care if I get it or not. Verse 25, besides thee I desire nothing on earth. And that's the third teaching from this psalm. When you view life with any eternal perspective, the presence of God in your life is enough. So therefore we see from this psalm this morning the teachings that will help us be diligent to maintain an eternal perspective on life. They are, number one, lack of eternal perspective leads to bitterness and senselessness. Number two, eternal perspective is gained through real, honest worship. And number three, when you view life with an eternal perspective, the presence of God in your life is enough. So as we wrap this up, what's your perspective on life? Does it include eternity? And are you being diligent to keep that perspective on life? When we do, all the stuff that we tend to get so worked up about and our shirts in such a knot about really tend to fade away into insignificance. I have my God, and that's enough. Let's take a moment of silence. Um, is called I Will Rise and Cam was actually the one who thought of it. It's got um, some really, I think it's a good kind of wrap up for that because it talks about the eternal perspective of because Jesus rose when we die we will bow our knee before Jesus and, then, and we will rise and we rise because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. So let's stand and sing this song together.
take refuge. Sometimes we pick out way more songs than we actually can sing because <laughs> there's so many good ones. Um, and then as Pastor Glenn preaches, I kind of sort it out in my brain. So we're going to skip one and then um, do two more here. Yeah. 
one is a hymn, um, Near My God to Thee, because I just was reminded how uh, everything, basically, is solved by drawing near, near to God.
Lord God, we want to just uh, thank you so much for the fact that as a body of believers, we can get together here, even though it's limited and we're not all able to be here at the same time, and that hurts. But those who are here, we can be together. We can unite our hearts in prayer together and bring these things before you. We want to pray, first of all, for, for those of our church family who are not with us this morning, or whatever they are doing, I pray that you would be close to them, help them to stay close to you, and to uh, uh, just use this, this time, uh, wherever they are with their families, to focus their hearts and their minds on you and help them to focus their minds and hearts of the kids on you and just uh, be close to each one of them, we pray. Uh, thank you, Lord, for Marvin, for uh, the fact that his family was able to come home. And uh, Just thank you, Lord, so much for uh, allowing that to happen. The blessing it was to Marvin, as it was obvious as he shared that and, uh, and the joy that it brought him. I just thank you, Lord, the blessing from you. Just uh, thank, you. thank you for that great week. Continue to be with his family, Lord, that they would all Lord, be open to you working in their lives and come to know you as Savior. Lord, you want to pray for Penny's family as well. Thank you, Lord, that, uh, that Bretton and Keaton and Tristan are able to go see their dad. It's been a long time uh, since they've seen them. And, and uh, Lord, it's a blessing, but on the other hand, uh, we know it, it does cause Penny some, some stress. So, uh, Lord, how I pray that you would just be close to them, be close to us, uh, give them a great week together with their kids. And pray all go well with the traveling there and back. And uh, have your hand on them. Thank you that Colton uh, has, a, has a job in Saskatoon. He just prays you for that. Just pray that everything go well with that final interview tomorrow and starting on Tuesday. Lord, how I pray that you would just be with him, help him, Lord, to stay close to you, stay, stay strong in you as he does his work, whatever that job is, and, uh, and just pray that it would be a good thing for him. Um, Lord, I want to thank you this Valentine's Day for for the spouses that you've given us. As Bonnie shared, uh, story of how they met, and and, uh, and Lord, just, yeah, just we look back at the way way you bring people together, and uh, Lord, we all thank you for our spouses, and the joy that they bring us, and, and the pleasure that they are to have in, in our lives, and the way that they challenge us, and love us no matter what, and help us to grow, and uh, Lord, I, I just thank you for each, each marriage here, for each spouse here. Pray that you continue to help us to stay, keep our marriages strong. Uh, Lord, I want to pray for the Benjamin family and continue to do that. And we just ask that you would help them as they mourn the loss of Ebenezer. Uh, how I pray that uh, the ministry would be able to go on in spite of that, that you'd give Samuel just a tremendous amount of your strength to bear up under this time. And also all the, all the kids, Lord, as they lost their mother, just be, be close to them and hold them tightly kids that are here in Canada will not be able to go to the funeral, and uh, it's going to be hard. And so, Lord, how I pray that you would have your hand on them. Uh, as, and as Larry requested, Lord, for families that can't be together, just taking off on that, and because of the restrictions, if there's families that just can't can't get together, that we, we ask that you would be with them. Help them, Lord, to uh, stay strong in you, and uh, there are ways to connect, even if you can't be together physically, how I pray that you would help them through this time. Lord, you also want to pray for Rocky Underhill that you would just cause a stem cell treatment. I think he's had that already, and I just pray that as he recovers from that, that it would turn out to be effective, that it would eliminate the cancer from his body, and uh, that he'd be raised to help and strength and be able to come back home well in body. And if he was Lynn, and she's home by herself, and, and Zach, uh, just uh, give them your strength to go on with Rocky there in Saskatoon. And that 
drawn to you and give their hearts and lives to you. Lord, we want to thank you just for allowing us to leave these things in your hands and allow you to bear them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Chris. This time we'll just do a prayer for our offering. Just a reminder that the offering container is just there at, by the exit door, if you'd like to bow with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your goodness to us. We thank you that we live on a land of plenty. We thank you that we can stay warm when it's been so cold. And we just thank you for taking care of our needs. We thank you that you know about our needs even before we know about them and that you're good to us in so many ways. And we thank you for this chance to give back to you. Amen. If you want to take a look in your bulletins, just the announcements that are in there. If you've got a report for the annual meeting, if you want to get that to Cam today, you can email it to him. Uh, get his email after the service if you don't have it. Uh, ladies Bible study this week at the church on Tuesday. A prayer meeting at 7.30 Wednesday here at the church as well. Uh, Friday at 7.30 p.m. is youth here at the church. And then we have got service next week. Looking ahead, uh, the annual meeting is on the 28th, and there's just a little uh, announcement there about we got some changes because of COVID, we can't have a meal after church. So we're gonna start it at 2 p.m. and give people a chance to go home or to eat. Any other announcements? If not, it's time to review your quizzes. Okay, so you kids 16 and under, you know the rules by now. I didn't explain them at the beginning. I have for the last few Sundays, so I hope you know the rules. So give your test to somebody, some adult that you trust, a parent or somebody else to mark for you, and I'll give you the answers. Uh, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking... Yeah, great, or age 10 and under. Age 10 and under, you need 50%. You need five, uh, four right, 50%. Uh, between 16 and 10, you need 100% to get a prize. Okay? Answers. How do you think the magic record player at the museum worked? Well, the answer is it's a wind-up. It's a wind-up one, but I didn't say that, so it's a kind of a, well, what do you think? Um, so everybody gets that one right. <laughs> That's your free spot on the bingo card. <laughs> Question number two, the answer is ASAP. Question number three, Minister of Music. Question number four, wicked people having no troubles in life and godly people having lots of struggles. So something to that effect. So parents or adults, if you're answering that, something that, that gets, if they have an answer that gets that drip, you can give it to them. Number five, bitterness senselessness, acting like a beast. <clears throat> Number six, going to the sanctuary or going to the temple to worship God. Number seven, it isn't important or something similar. <laughs> it's not important. Number eight, God is enough. God is enough. Okay, so those of you who uh, are 
eligible to get a prize, you can come see me as soon as. What? Minister of Music. I'm sure that's exactly what I said in the sermon, Minister of Music. <laughs> so, okay. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, I just want to thank you for the time we can be together this morning. It's a blessing for you. Thank you for your word to us. Help us remember what it says. And remember what you taught us here today. And Lord, as we go from here, may we hear or take with us what we heard. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.